Welcome to another episode of the Bible Toolbox. I'm Lydia. And I'm Luke. And we are here to help you enjoy the Bible through the tools that scholars and programmers have created for you. All right. What's our tool today? Our tool today is Bible translations. Uh. We, Unless you are fluent in ancient Greek and Hebrew, you will need a translation. All right. I need a translation. He might not. I do. <laughs> I still need translations. <laughs> so we are going to talk about, there are there are thousands of translations. Yeah. So we're going to talk about why they're why they are different and why we have so many and which okay. ones to use and how to use them awesome. and when to use them and why to use them and so yeah. on. Very good to know. So first, let's talk about why they don't differ. Okay. <laughs> the reason they the the reason they do not differ. Okay. So here here's kind of an example that you'll see on the internet in places. Mm-hmm. So here it says like the NIV and the ESV have have now removed 45 complete verses and you know they give examples here of you know salvation of you know for the son of man is come to save that which is lost and such like there's there's verses that they're taking out they're stealing our salvation hmm. okay what is this assuming what kind of intentions is it assuming yeah. that the modern translators translators have it it seems like they're putting like evil thoughts into the translators' minds and they have bad intentions and they're trying to sway the reader by taking out certain verses and not putting in and putting in other yeah. ones that get their message across more. Right. Which is not true. Not true. I mean, That's you can good. go and read the preface of the ESV, the NIV, the mm-hmm. NASB, whatever. That's not what they're trying to do. These are Christians on committees trying to bring us to salvation in Christ through their translation. Okay, so why do they differ then? Yeah, so let's talk about that. So this is an example of differing manuscripts. Okay. Okay, and this is called textual criticism. Okay, so this is not this is not critically looking at the text, like, oh, let's <laughs> criticize. Criticizing it, yeah. yeah okay. It's not criticizing the Bible. It's looking at the different texts, the manuscripts that we have, and critically weighing what is the original. Hmm. Okay. Okay. So the reason we have to do this, so a little history here. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. Mainly. Yes. Okay. But eventually, Hebrew just over time wasn't the language of the people anymore. Okay. Just kind of think how English has developed over time. Sure. Just over time, languages die out. Okay. So Hebrew was no longer spoken by common people. So it was eventually translated into Greek. Okay. In about 200 BC or so. And this is what we call the Septuagint. The Septuagint is the Old Testament translated into Greek? Yes. It's translated from the Hebrew into Greek. And LXX is the symbol that's used for the Septuagint. Okay. Sounds good. The New Testament was also, or Greek remained to be the the common language during that time. So the New Testament was actually all done in Greek as well. Okay. So then we had a complete Greek Old Testament and New Testament. Yep. Yep. And then eventually... In some parts of, so the Roman Empire continues, Eastern Empire stays Greek, or the Western was Latin. Okay. Okay, So eventually Greek falls out in Mm -hmm. the West, and so we need another translation. And so a guy named Jerome was commissioned to make a translation into Latin, or to make a standard translation. There were already translations in Latin, but he kind of like compiled them and made like the standard that the church would use. And that's what we call the Vulgate. Okay, so we have manuscripts of the Old Testament in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Yep. And the New, New Testament in Greek and Latin. Yep. And and so Latin isn't the only language that 
it was like Christians went to. Right. Right. I mean, Christians were going across the whole world. Mm-hmm. So we actually have translations into tons of ancient languages. Great. That's good news. Okay? Yeah, that is good news. <laughs> the yeah, like early on, even all the way into China is is like the Christian movement went into. So like mm-hmm. it expanded across the world. Awesome. And that is good news. In the West, where they were speaking Latin, they're they were kind of like forgetting the Greek sometimes. And so there was a movement in the 1500s, and Erasmus was part of this, where they were trying to go back to the original Greek. Okay. So Erasmus collects the manuscripts of Greek that he had, the best ones that he had, and they were they were good. And he found roughly seven okay. and compiled an edition comparing these manuscripts and coming with what he thinks is the original of the New Testament. In Greek. In Greek. Okay. And that's what we call the Textus Receptus, or this is Latin for received text. So the Textus Receptus is going back to the Greek, taking the remains of the manuscripts of the Greek, putting them back together, saying this is what it was. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Well, and some of they were like, they were full manuscripts they of the were New full. Testament. Okay. And you have to compare the differences. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And so he compared the differences and was trying to figure out which one was the earliest, which were the best readings. Yep. Of the original. Okay. Okay. Later on, there were other scholars. So Stephanus and Beza built off of Erasmus mm-hmm. and they had more manuscripts at their disposal. Okay. And so they had somewhere up to 25 probably. Okay. And, you know, they, they made additions and edits to his work. Sure. And but it's, it's kind of in the same line there. Is that still called the Texas Receptus? It is still. Receptus? So there's okay. multiple editions of the Texas Receptus. Got it. Okay. But they're all part of that family. So sure. we just call that the Texas Receptus. Mm-hmm. And then, okay, so this is what, the Texas Receptus is what the King James Bible was translated from. So this is 1500s. Yep. King James translation was made in 1611. Okay, so they would have only had the Texas Receptus to work off of. That was the best version of the New Testament that they had. And rightfully so. Rightfully so, yes. After that, around the 1700s and later, there was tons of archaeology done. Okay. And... Where they had 25 manuscripts, we have over 5,000. Oh, wow. How cool would it be to just be digging around and, yeah. oh, you find, oh, there's some uh, Romans or something. Like, <laughs> so yeah. cool. And so one of these is in 1849, a guy named Tischendorf, who was the inspiration for Indiana Jones. Nice. Found Sinaiticus, which is pretty much the oldest complete manuscript that we have of the Septuagint and the new testament oh really so it's old and massive all in Greek. yeah yeah that's awesome. it's not all of it but it's like the most complete that's so cool. uh, most of it and then continuing on 1950s the dead sea scrolls were found because okay. up until this time the oldest hebrew text that they had was around 1000 a.d oh so like the old testament but not written after jesus right way after way after jesus 1000 a.d okay. And so the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in Qumran, and it was texts in Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic around the time 250 BC and 70 AD. And they kind of help confirm that the Hebrew texts that we have are not way off. Like they're they're pretty similar. Was the Dead Sea Scrolls only, did you say only Hebrew? Only Old Testament? Well, it's during this period. So anything this period and before. Gotcha. Okay. But Hebrew... Uh, Greek and Aramaic, the multiple languages during whatever languages were used in Palestine and yeah. Qumran during that time. But I bet that opened up 
so many more doors for manuscript trans or like oh yeah so now we have to compare and and just like today they it wasn't just copies of the bible it's also interpretations it's commentaries it's paraphrases it's mm -hmm. like there, there's just a massive amount of literature now yeah. that you know is thrown in and it has to be interpreted and yeah and studied so you said that there's five thousand ish today is that like split between old and new or are there more new or are there more old that's new testament that's only new testament yeah so why are there so many more new, new testament manuscripts than there are old testament manuscripts yep so that well, that's especially true before the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Dead Sea Scrolls opened that up. Mm -hmm. But in general, there, I, I think it comes down to a, a difference in how they were preserved. So okay. we see this in the Old Testament where God has a specific people, Israel, mm -hmm. that he is working his salvation plan through. And so he's working with a nation and it's more controlled. So here we can kind of see where Josiah, he finds the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. Oh, right. there's I mean, one that, book of the law and it was in the temple. It was kept in the temple. Yeah. Or like the standard version was there yeah, sure. in the temple where the new Testament, there's, there's no more temple. There's no yeah. more Israel. There's it's, it's the salvation is extended. The mm -hmm. covenant people is extended to the Gentiles. And this is kind of the, the drive behind the new Testament where we have, you know, Jesus commanding us to go into the whole world, preach sure. gospel to every creature. So like here, Paul says, after this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans. Okay. And so there's this like trading, you know, you'd copy your letter and then send oh, it to another church yeah. and then they'd send their letter back. And, you know, there's a lot of movement and trading around yeah. and it was just trying to get the word out. Jesus is Lord. He's, is he's so cool. From the dead. Yeah. It's like proof that... The Christian church was just like exploding everywhere. Yeah. And so that's why we have such a diversity and explosion of manuscripts in the mm -hmm. New Testament. But with tons of manuscripts come tons of like spelling errors or yeah. missed lines or that kind of thing. Because mm -hmm. they weren't worried, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, they weren't worried about exact precision of every spelling. They were just trying to get it out as fast as possible, which they weren't being careless, I'm sure. Either, well, they were but... worried about spelling, but it's just you make mistakes okay. as as you're writing. You're gonna you're gonna put like we do this all the time with typos and like there versus there. Sure, t h e i r okay. versus yeah. t h e r e. Yeah, I still make those mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> I know the exact difference, but it's just you the way you say it in your mind, the way yeah. you write it down. Gotcha. You just make mistakes. Okay. Okay. So going back to that Facebook post, like, is this a concern that there's verses missing? Even like we know there's so many different manuscripts. But are they like that different? We yeah. should be concerned. All right, let's let's check it out. So looking back here at Matthew 17, like we like we showed, ESV and the NET don't have the verse. Okay. So but, Matthew 17, 21 is indeed not in the ESV and the NET. Right. Okay. But they have footnotes here. So you can hover over and see in the corner here. It it tells you. It tells you the reason for taking it out right? Okay. Some manuscripts insert verse 21, and then they give you a translation, but this kind never comes out except by prayer and fasting. So they include it there, but they, they let you know. There's manuscripts that the, the best manuscripts in their opinion don't have it. So the KJV Texas Receptus included this verse, but mm -hmm. then when we discovered all the 5,000 or whatever more that show that this verse wasn't included in the more reliable ones so that right. they didn't when they were translating and they were comparing manuscripts they decided 
to not put it in because right. the manuscripts didn't have it. Yep. Not all of them had it. Yep. The okay. oldest and best ones that they could find didn't have it. So there's no like evil intentions. It's just an honest look at the text. Mm -hmm. What is there? What is not? Even if it's different from before, we have to be honest with it now. Yeah. Okay. And the NET actually has really long footnotes that spell that out. So here, their footnote is a lot longer. Wow, it's really long. Yeah. And they even tell you many important manuscripts and they actually list them out. These are oh. symbols for different manuscripts. Okay. And I mean, you can go and look them up, look them up on <laughs> books and Wikipedia and sure. whatever, but most people don't want to do that. And then they give you a whole explanation for for why they feel like it shouldn't be okay in the so that's text. a really good resource to know the net for footnotes is yeah. that is this common for like a lot of verses in the new testament and old testament that net would have footnotes for oh net has footnotes genesis to revelation oh, okay on on these issues so you can you can use those footnotes another easy way to compare is using the kjv parallel bible.org okay and what this does is it puts the Textus Receptus, what the King James is saying, okay. yep, and the critical text, which is you know, the modern, after looking at the 5,000 manuscripts and Dead Sea Scrolls and stuff, or, I mean, this isn't Dead Sea Scrolls because it's, this is, this, this is just New Testament. Okay. But you can actually scroll and it highlights where they differ. Oh, so like one through three, there's no difference. There's no difference at all. Versus the manuscripts. Yep. Okay. And, oh, we get our first difference here. In verse four, Peter says, let us make here three tabernacles versus I will make the three tabernacles. Oh, so like not a significant no, difference. Plural versus singular. Okay. And you come here, touch them and versus touching oh, them. Okay. Right. So most of these differences are very, very minor. Okay. So the the first big difference. So, I mean, even here we get and Jesus answered versus and he answered, you'll see that one a lot. Okay. Just clarifying who is this pronoun talking about. Mm -hmm. And then it said unto them, but you already know they're talking to them, right? Sure. So you, you'll see mistakes like that. No mistakes, no differences for many verses there. Mm -hmm. And then we get, you know, the verse. 21. 21. Okay. But as you can see, like there, there's really yeah. not much different. And you can go and click through. There are some some major questions, and you can you can find those online and, and such. But you can you can scroll through this website and for any chapter, any book, any chapter for the New Testament, and you can see. And even even for the big for the big ones, so like John seven, so that they are aware of of the the major differences here. They're not trying to hide them from you. Okay. So you can scroll through the same thing. Like there's these little minor differences that you can compare. And then... John 7 is the... What story is that? It's the adulterous, adulterous woman. woman. That's what it was. And where Jesus says, he who is without sin cast the, cast first, stone. the first stone. So it's... If you come here, it's right here. John seven fifty three to eight eleven, And they tell you, here's the TR viewpoint, here's the CT, the critical text viewpoint. So... The story of the adulterous woman is included in the Texas Receptus, but it's mm -hmm. not included in the critical text. Right. The whole story is missing. Yep. Okay. And this is, and they tell you why. And they tell you why here. Okay. So you, there are resources to look into bigger yep. chunks. Yep. Okay. So but, this would be the place to start to look into that. Yeah. But it does look like our Bible is reliable. Yeah. Like just scrolling through, I don't see like tons of 
huge differences that are going to change our theology or doctrine or anything like that. Is that like widely accepted yeah. that the Bible is true? Yeah. So coming back to our, our PowerPoint here, Bart Ehrman, who's an agnostic Bible scholar. So not a Christian. Not a Christian. So he has no reason to believe in the authority of the Bible or the preservation of God okay. with the Bible. But he he deals with textual manuscripts a lot. And he says, after reviewing a, a new update edition of the Greek New Testament, okay. he says, the reality is that we are unlikely to discover radically new problems or devise radically new solutions. At this stage, our work on the original, the original text, what the original authors wrote, amounts to little more than tinkering. Oh, okay. And we kind of saw that. Yeah. I mean, it's just words and phrases that aren't making too big of a difference mm -hmm. for the most part. Sure. That's awesome. So we have a very reliable text. Yeah. With lots of manuscripts to back it up. Yep. Okay. So are manuscripts then the main difference between why translations differ? No. I would say that's fairly minor. Okay. That's like 4% of the differences. Oh, wow. Maybe. Okay. The, the main difference between manuscripts is in what is called translation philosophy. And this is translator, translation committees just have different goals with what they want their translation to accomplish. Okay. What are some examples of these goals? Yeah. So let's look at Psalm 1. So here we have Psalm 1-1 in three different translations. And let's just read them here. So this is the Young's literal translation. It says, Oh, the happiness of that one who hath not walked in the counsel of the wicked and in the way of sinners hath not stood and in the seat of scorners hath not sat. Okay. Interesting. Does that sound like a translation <laughs> you want to read? Not quite, but maybe it has some has some promises, maybe. Yeah. Well, this this is very rigid to the Hebrew. Mm -hmm. This is notice how in the way of the sinners hath not stood. Yeah. Right. He puts the the phrase there even before the verb, and that's not how we talk in English. Right. But he did that because that's what it is in the Hebrew. Oh, the Hebrew so he puts tried the phrase before. Okay. Yeah. So he tried to be very, very literal to the text okay okay kjv king james let's read this so it says blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly nor standeth in the way of sinners nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful so much so better much to my ear <laughs> yeah it flows a lot better but it is still very word to word yep it had to it moves some of the like here nor standeth puts that first and then puts in the way of sinners after, because that's more natural English. But it keeps in the way of sinners together. Yep. Okay. Yep. It's still the same words. Mm -hmm. Just in a different order. Just in a different order. Okay. Whereas, let's look at the NIV. It says, blessed is the one who does not walk in, the st in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. Very, very similar, but you can, you can notice a few, like it adds take in there where mm -hmm. that's not, that's not there, but they're trying to just clarify, like, you're not just not hanging out with sinners or with mm -hmm. people. It's, it's, you're not going in their path. You're not following their same lifestyle. Okay. Right. And so they're trying to like clarify the meaning here. Okay. Okay. So this, this highlights, we're going to use this example to highlight the different philosophies here. So the first one to point out here is we, we it kind of came up word for word versus thought for thought. 
the Young's literal translation is very word for word. When you say word for word, you mean the translators went to the Hebrew and they said, okay, this word in English means happiness. And so they put happiness in the exact place it was in Hebrew mm -hmm. and they didn't change anything else. Right. Okay. As Except much as possible. Is that, so that would be Young's, which is very, very word for yep. word. And Young's even tried to keep the word order like we saw. Yep. Yeah. But King James still did word for word, but they they maneuvered the words around just so we could understand them and be more fluent in English. Yeah, it's more a lot more fluid. Okay. Okay. So how is the NIV also word for word? No. It's I mean it's still trying to get the same text as much as possible, but it's more down the continuum of of word for word towards meaning for meaning. It's trying to get the same meaning that was there in the Hebrew mm. to the meaning that it is in English, like we were talking about in the way that sinners take. Mm -hmm. It's it's taking the meaning that was intended in the Hebrew and making it more understandable to us English people. Sure. And they, um, do they still use as many of the original words as possible? But yeah, they as, just as have possible. a little bit more freedom if they need to maybe add a couple words or change one yeah. or so okay because they're trying to preserve meaning the same meaning okay where young is trying to preserve the same words sure okay so are there you said there's a continuum here yeah of so formal was word for word functional was meaning for meaning or thought for thought yep okay so you can find charts online and books all over mm -hmm. and they're all pretty much the same so you can see like here's one from Fee and Strauss that puts a number of translations on a spectrum. So you can see here NASB King James over here in formal. Here's one that I made. So I put like you have Young's Literal, which is there, way, way over here. King James, New King James, ESB, NRSV, you know, are all pretty similar in okay. what I'm calling essentially literal, where NIV is more over here on functional. It's okay. easier to read. Got it. So the more... But there are there are ones that are easier to read than the NIV. And there are, are, you know, ones that are more literal than the King James. Sure. But okay. it's a spectrum. Okay. Okay. Great. So we have form, word for word, or meaning for meaning. Mm -hmm. Got it. So the reason the reason why we would do meaning for meaning is because of your audience. Okay. Okay. Like so who's the, reading the text? Who's reading it? So the NIV is written for a certain group of people. It's trying to make the text more understandable for a lower reading level and okay. for maybe people who aren't familiar with Christian terms like justification, propitiation, sanctification. Hmm. Like those words are difficult to understand if you're just opening up the Bible. Interesting. So they have a target audience as they're translating the Bible. Yeah. Yeah, cool. they do. So here's an example. This is from christianbook.com of the different reading levels of the Bible translations. So you can see like the NIRV is written for third graders. Oh, okay. So if you had a child, I mean, even like NLT or sixth grade. Yeah. Okay. To kind of gauge where their understanding level is. And okay, yeah. very cool. Yeah. Where like King James, 12th grade. Yeah. I mean, this is high school. Yeah. ESV is also high up there. NIV is still eighth grade. Sure. Like those are, those are more difficult, but they, they have a certain audience that they're trying to gauge to so that they can understand the word. Okay, awesome. Another thing that we can notice here in the Psalm 1 is right at the beginning here. Blessed is the man versus blessed is the one. 
Uh, so they're trying to be a little more gender inclusive here mm-hmm. in ideas. Yep. So the text actually says man. It, it does. It says man. And that's why the King James put it as man. Mm-hmm. But when the King James did that, they didn't mean women are not blessed. <laughs> not blessed. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so the NIV just wanted to clarify that. Sure. We understand this is an inclusive word. Okay. Women are also included in this. So they they try to use a word that's more neutral Got it. between man and woman. Makes sense. Another goal is style. And you can actually hear it in the King James. So, or in the in the Young's literal, and in the way of sinners hath not stood, and in the seat of scorners hath not sat. Just oh. does not flow. <laughs> Doesn't flow. This would be awful to memorize. It kind of sounds like Dr. Seuss, yeah. honestly. <laughs> Well, Dr. Seuss flows really well. This is more, yeah, it's just very staccato-y. Yes. Where the King James really flows, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Yeah, it does flow very well. Okay. Where the, the NIV, well, okay, that was a big part of the King James, is they read the text aloud oh, and made sure yeah. it was it flowed really well mm-hmm. when it was read aloud. Where the NIV isn't concerned as much with style as it is with readability understandability. Mm -hmm. So here it doesn't flow quite as well or in the way that sinners take or in the company of mockers. Like it, it it has that little, that sinners take, it still has that kind of staccato. Sure. They just weren't as concerned and their style was just different. Yeah. Okay. So we have form, audience, gender words, style. Yep. And so there, there are a couple other more, they're more minor reasons, different philosophy Okay. Goals. And we're going to look at those. So one is tradition. So we can see this in the Lord's Prayer. Okay. Where the King James tradition is. I mean, it was so old. You can't, yeah. like, everyone knows the King Father James. Father who art in heaven. Hallowed, hallowed be thy name. name. Yeah. Right. Where, so the NRSV, NASB, NIV, ESV all use hallowed be your name. Even though we don't really talk like that yeah. in normal prayers. Mm-hmm. So the NLT and NET weren't as concerned with following that tradition where they translated it as they think it should be translated. Sure. May your name be kept holy. May your name be kept honored or be honored. Mm-hmm. Right. So that just shows which translations are more bound to the tradition and which are not. Okay. okay. So another reason they would differ is just tra- tradition. Do they want to hold to it or not? Mm-hmm. Okay. And another one is what to do with ancient terms and metaphors and such. Mm-hmm. So for example, Goliath was... Six cubits in a span. How tall is that? <laughs> We're like, uh... <laughs> yeah, we don't know. Uh, so the, the NLT, NET, again, make it into English. Yeah. Over nine <laughs> feet tall. And the NET says over or close to seven feet tall. Who is that? A manuscript and difference? There's a manuscript there? difference. Ooh. Textual criticism. But the ESV, NIV, they put footnotes in. So yeah. they would put... So they, they have six cubits in a span because that's what the text says. They're trying yeah. to be formal. And then they'll put a footnote saying... This is nine feet tall. Got it. Whatever. Okay. Okay. Nice. Another one is metaphors. So for example, in the Song of Solomon, the King James and other formal translations will read, thy hair is as a flock of goats. (laughs) Honey, if you ever told me that, I don't know what I would do. (laughs) So the NLT tries to clarify what it meant in Hebrew. And they say, your hair falls in waves like a flock of goats winding down the slopes of Gilead. Uh, Much smoother. (laughs) Right. And it's more understandable in English. Awesome. Okay. Okay. So that, those are all of kind of, not all, there are many more kind of little things here, but those are kind of the major philosophical 
goal differences that a translation committee has. Okay. Who they're trying to reach and how they're trying to do their translation. Okay. So we have manuscripts and then we have goals. Mm -hmm. You said there's one more? There's one more. So this is the one that's the scariest. But there are times where the interpretation of the committee comes out. It's different. It's like their understanding of the text is different. Yep. Sometimes this has nothing to do with theology. Okay. For example, James 4, 5. You have the ESV that reads, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. Okay, notice how the spirit is being yearned for. He's yearning for the spirit. Okay. Where the New King James reads, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously. Oh, so the spirit is the one yearning. The spirit is the one yearning, where up here the the spirit is what is yearned for. Okay, so why, why this difference? The difference is in the Greek, the form of it, it can either be the subject or the object of the verb. Oh, so it's just ambiguous. It's just ambiguous and you have to translate it somehow. So you just, you pick one. Okay. ESV is convinced that it should be that way. The New King James is convinced it should be that way. Okay. Is that going to change your theology? No. No. But these happen throughout the text. Just with Greek words that could mean the same thing or anything like that. Okay. There are a few where theology does come out. So here's an example where in the King James it says, this is talking about Jesus' teaching on divorce. Okay. He says, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. So this word fornication is a very common, in, in, in ancient English, this was a common word just for sexual sin. Okay. Sexual immorality. Mm-hmm. The NAB, which is a Catholic translation. Okay. Okay. So Catholics don't believe that you can be divorced. Okay. And so the way that they interpret this is, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, unless the marriage is unlawful. Hmm. Okay. So they interpret this idea of sexual immorality, fornication, as the the marriage itself was not lawful to stand. It's like if I got married to a dog. That's not lawful. Okay. Right. So interesting. It, it was never a legit marriage to start. Hmm. Okay. And their theology definitely swayed that interpretation. Yeah, for sure. Of one word. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the word itself is ambiguous. Oh, okay. So they right. had to so, translate so this. So you, you to have to interpret it somehow. Interpret it a certain yep. way. Another one is First Timothy 3.11. This is talking about the qualifications for elders and deacons. And in the deacons paragraph, it says... And the, you name it uses the, the Greek word for woman, which is the same word as for wife. Ooh, okay. So they, they didn't have a way of, of distinguishing those. Yep. And so this is a big deal. Can women be deacons or not? ESV King James translates it as wives, which would seem to at least help towards saying, no, women mm-hmm. are not deacons. This is the wives of the deacons. Where NASB and NRSB say women, meaning you have the men deacons, and now let's talk about the women deacons, mm-hmm. right? And or, I'm sure this this decision to make this word was researched and oh, there's other so much research. texts were pulled in. Like, oh, it wasn't yeah. just like, Books. no, we think it's women, we're going to put this. Like, right. they have to research it because they're making a translation. Yeah, we don't, we don't have the time to go through yeah. all the research <laughs> behind it. Okay. Because there are women deaconesses early on in the church and... Sure. All those, okay. all those debates and stuff. Yeah. So, we'll but, let that be. Yeah. But just to clarify, <laughs> like it wasn't them just trying to make a point. Yeah. Like, it was. 
it's an oh. honest ambiguity in the text that you have to make a decision mm-hmm. and they're trying to be as faithful as possible Got to it. what it meant. Okay. But here's here's kind of my digression is that you can't put that much theology in the text. Like I was kind of saying before, even if you translate that as wives, you could argue other places in the Bible to argue for women deacons. Mm-hmm. That's not the only place. You can't change the whole Bible. Right. You can't <laughs> change the entire Bible. You can't change history. You can't change manuscripts. You can't. Sure. Right. And so an example here, the New World Translation, which is the Jehovah Witnesses Bible. Which they believe Jesus is not God. They believe he's not one with the Father. Right. Okay. And so you can see that in John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a, a God. God. Right. So not capital G like we're used to seeing in our Bibles. But- so they can put their theology there. Their theology shows up there. But and we, that, is that a real reasonable translation of the Greek? It's it's a possibility. Yeah. Okay. They because, weren't just like making it up. Yeah. 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 Um, I there's a there's a Christian who made kind of a scholar who made his own translation of the Bible. He's a Greek Orthodox Christian who also translates it as a God. Oh, but he's Christian. But he's Christian. Okay. And he just he understands it in a different way. Okay. He understands it in a more you know, orthodox way that we would understand it. Mm-hmm. However, when the New World Translation comes to John twenty twenty eight, there's not really a way around it. This is where Jesus shows Thomas the nails in his hand mm-hmm. and says, come touch. And Thomas looks at it and he says, in answer, Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Oh. Yeah? How did they get around that one? Yeah. So <laughs> this... They can't. They can't just change the text. They Jehovah Witnesses are also bound to the text. They're mm-hmm. they're trying to, you know, honor and obey what the text says. Mm-hmm. So they're not just going to change the text. So they have to reinterpret this verse. Oh. So they would say like, "You, Jesus, are my Lord, and Father, you're my God," or something like that. Okay. Like a change in perspective. Or sure. I'm sure there's other interpretations as well. But their text is the same as the ours text is the same. Okay. So only so much theology can go into changing the text. Well, which is very comforting. Like yeah. we can trust, again, we can trust their translations that they haven't been put in a certain way or mm-hmm. yeah, catered yeah. to a certain perspective. And if you were reading the New World Translation, let's say, and you come across John 1.1 1, 1, and you read was a God. And let's say you were reading it along with another translation and it has capital G God. Then it's like, oh. And then that kind of like springboards you to go and look into it, mm-hmm. right? And so this is kind of the importance of comparing different translations. And okay. you can see where some of these ambiguities are and maybe where theology is put in mm-hmm. and, you know, where these decisions are made by the committees. Yeah, we'll have to explain some more tools in future episodes, hint, hint, <laughs> of how to look up these differences. Yeah. So summary. Alrighty. So different manuscripts. Different goals, like word for word, thought for thought. Who are they writing to? Are they trying to mm-hmm. flow or not? Mm-hmm. Ancient terms, those kinds of things. Yep. And then there are points where the text is ambiguous. You could go either way. And so they, with research and prayer, I'm sure lots of prayer, oh, yeah. um, they make a choice and go with it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. So which translation is best? Tell us, tell us, tell us. Well, it depends. Oh, okay. That's right? Just good. like there are there are different goals for translations, depending on your goal, it can be different. So here, and in general, I think it's best to use multiple. 
as you're doing your interpretation and study to use multiple to, to see these ambiguities, to see the differences, to see maybe where manuscripts are different. So you can look at the King James and see the Textus Receptus and New King James also uses the Textus Receptus. The NRSV, I really like the NRSV because it, it includes the Apocrypha. What's the Apocrypha? That's the books that are in, you'll see it in Catholic and Eastern Orthodox Bibles but they're not in Protestant ones. Interesting. And maybe we'll talk about that that debate at some time. But they have a, a translation of that. There's also a King James translation of the Apocrypha as well. Okay. But anyway. Anyway, <laughs> uh, the NET we saw, tons of footnotes. Okay. Footnotes are so good in the, in the NET. They point out translation difficulties, textual criticism stuff, and mm -hmm. even just whatever. They have so lots if of if things. If you have a question, a good place to go is the NET. Yeah. Is, that's probably just online then to it's, see all the footnotes. It's online pretty much at every website where you find a okay. Bible. Good to know. Yep. And then we saw like the NLT is written for a sixth grade reading mm -hmm. level and just very easy to understand. Okay. If you need a starting point into the Bible. All right. Awesome. Well, this has been so enlightening just to know why there are different translations and to not have evil intentions towards the translators mm -hmm. and just trust the word of God because how amazing is it that he's preserved it from the time of Moses and Adam, like all mm -hmm. the way so we can read it now. Yeah. And the fact that we have thousands of translations in English mm -hmm. is such a blessing because there are still tons of people who don't have a single translation mm -hmm. in their language. So take advantage of these tools that we have. Use multiple translations and help yeah. help understand the text that God has given to us. Awesome. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Bible Toolbox. For more information and resources about the content covered in this episode, visit our website. If you have a Bible tool that you'd like us to discuss, leave a comment on our YouTube page or email us at thebibletoolbox at gmail.com.